Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello, Australia. Welcome to My Millennial Money. Glenn James here. On today's episode, we're talking about making money, how to get rich. Yes, it's a little bit clickbaity, but we want you to understand some of the basic things about how to become wealthy. And we are talking about monetary wealth in this episode. So have a listen. John Pigeon and a friend of the podcast, Vince Scully, and myself, we sit down, we chat about how to get rich. It's part one. And we can't do this episode without the resources that we produce for you, the community. So this episode is brought to you by my book, Sort Your Money Out and Get Invested. If you're after a new personal finance book, working on your money mindset, all the stuff, superannuation, insurances, that's got everything, you can buy that wherever you buy your books. And let's get into the episode. You want clickbait? You got it. The Wolf of Podcasting, Glenn James, will speak with John and Vince Scully, financial advisor, around how to get rich. Glenn shares his personal mottos like ABC, always be closing, and greed is good, which is something he stole from a Warcraft 3 cheat, but didn't actually know it was from a movie. So the title, yes, I've called it How to Get Rich, part one. It's a two-part series, so this is part one. But that's a little bit clickbaity, so I think we need to... <laughs> Nothing wrong with a bit of clickbait? No, we need to probably just reframe the discussion, not how to get rich, but like how to build wealth, how to maintain wealth, how to be a wealthy person, because there's a big difference between winning lottery and earning $20 million over your lifetime. Mm -hmm. I think you value money a bit better when you've earned it. Yeah, so like always, we've got zero preparation on this, Vince. <laughs> um, Glenn's made a whole heap of notes. So we're talking financial wealth, not mentally wealthy, physically wealthy. It's just... Spiritually wealthy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's whatever you want, but I think we probably should talk about monetary wealth. Hmm. But as the conversation develops, I think we'll find that maybe some of those other things will impact on that. Yeah. So... I've kind of... Here's one I wrote myself earlier. Yeah, here's one I wrote myself <laughs> one earlier. I guess my first type of discussion point, and I'll get Vince to talk to this because he has got um, probably a lot more experience at the coal face with dealing with clients. But Come on, you, be honest. I'm just an old bugger. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> old, it's a nice way of yeah, saying it. The silver fox. <laughs> You've got to manage your own money well. You do. So... Talk to us what you've seen over your career and your own personal life with personal money management. Well, the big thing that sticks out to me over all these years is that success with money is not about making a thousand small decisions well, saving $3.50 on your toilet paper. It's about making six big decisions really, really well. Right. And those six big decisions are where you live, yep. 
going to write these down. What you drive. Yeah. How you prepare for the unexpected. How you prepare for retirement. How you make a living and who you marry. And if you get those six right, and at Life Show we can help you with the first four, but the yeah. last two, you're on your own. And getting those right means you don't actually have to worry about the rest of it. Mm. So the last one may negate the, the first five. Exactly. Just gun for that and that's your strategy and well, you get game that, over. Yeah. <laughs> They're not in any particular order. But that well, concept about where you live and what you drive, that's going to be you know, half your lifetime spending is on those two items. Can we go a bit deeper into these six? Yeah, Cause yeah. I, absolutely. Because I've, I've got some interest in your thoughts on, mm-hmm. especially the live part I get, mm-hmm. what you drive. Tell me, go deeper into that. Well, the two biggest sources of stress that I see in our members is too much house and too much car. Yeah. And the too much car is sort of the easy one to fall into. But you can walk into that. Well, you can. Like you can go to a car yard and like I was with someone one day and literally walked into a car yard and got a loan and bought a brand new car. Yeah. And a week ago, he hadn't planned to do that. Crazy. I don't know if I've heard of a podcast host from the Central Coast that did something <laughs> similar to that. <laughs> but the difference is, I think, I think that podcast... Oh, sorry, influencer. No, no, yeah. I've never called myself that. But I, I would say the difference is uh, that podcast host that you speak of probably had most of his big rocks taken care of probably. and had a lot more money than... The other person else. Yeah. But it, it is quite worrying. You, you almost don't need a job to go in and get a car these days. Like, yeah. It's crazy. And totally. I was in, in the US last year and it's almost impossible to see the price of a car. It's always X dollars a week. Is it? So you, no one ever tells you that this is a $30,000 car. Yeah. So getting that down, obviously um, the the old rule about buying the cheapest car your ego can afford is, is very true, but it's only keeping it below three months pay yeah. will make a huge difference. And even at three months pay, the average cost of running a car is a third of its capital cost. Yeah. So that means you're spending one month's pay a year, or you're working till Monday lunchtime yeah. to pay for your car. And you only have four and a half days to pay for the rest of your life. Yeah. So that's a big one. And with the rise of the SUV, people are spending more and more money on cars. Mm. And as you say, they're mostly borrowing. Yeah. And they're not, not coming down in price. Well, they've sort of got a lot better for the same price. I think you get better value for money, but the actual dollar value of what you pay for something is hasn't come down considerably, well, has it? I, I bought my first BMW in <laughs> 1993, yeah. and it cost me $49,000. That's right. a lot of money back then. Yeah, it is. For a, that was a basic 318i. Wow. Were you a real estate person? No. <laughs> Do you have personalised uh, number plates? No, I didn't have personalised plates. Um, but today, what is $50,000 by you? Quite a lot of car. With a seven-year warranty? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the value coming out, isn't it? Like you do get mm. your... It's unusual not to have five years of warranty now. That's right. So that's a big one. Mm. And most people who have problems with think they have a problem with the car loan. They've actually got a problem with having bought too much car. Yeah. And it's the depreciation that's the killer. Mm. So that's one that we're all in control of. And if you drive less than 5,000 kilometres a year, you should have a go-get membership. Yeah. And use it. Yeah. But the house is an interesting one because all of our parents, and certainly I was taught this growing up, that you should buy the biggest house you can possibly afford mm. because real estate always goes up. And that was probably true. So when I bought my first house in... 1983, and I borrowed 10 times my annual pay. Our listeners are thinking, well, I wasn't even born then. <laughs> yeah. And um, 
it didn't really matter because inflation was running at 13%. Yeah. So if you spend a little bit too much, your pay will catch up next year and it didn't yeah. really matter. But today we've had pretty well flat mm. pay growth for five years and so it's not going to get... So those two big ones are half, yeah. half your lifetime spending. And I guess for the people listening and it's the first time you've heard this podcast, don't write in and say, they're not even millennials, they're, they're so out of touch with the average millennial. <laughs> uh, number one, just chill out a minute and see <laughs> if you can learn from the experience of Vince. And John, you're a millennial. I'm a millennial. Yeah, people are like, oh, they're not even millennials. Like, I'm a bloody millennial by definition. So people bang us for not being millennials. Oh yeah, really? Yeah, first time I've heard this. Yeah. On show. Oh no, you're a millennial. Ish. <laughs> John, yes, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. But all I'm saying is, I'm married to one. He's married <laughs> to one. They'll do. But all I'm saying is, just because someone comes on here and says I bought a BMW, doesn't mean they're necessarily out of touch to you being at uni yeah. earning $300 a week because Vince was in that position once before. Exactly. So, everyone just mm. chill out, yeah. okay? So, before Glenn went back on, on his rant. Okay, boomer. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> the one thing I want to add with that home thing is the banks don't help either because they usually say, well, you can lend this amount and that's more than what most people can afford to repay in That's a lot right. of cases. So, so, so you can get to six or seven times your annual pay in serviceability with a lot of banks. Mm. And that really is way too much. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it. And I think one. real estate agents have a bit of responsibility here too. You, know, you go to an open house and the, you ask the real estate agent, what will this sell for? And they go, oh, this will sell in the low 700s, mm. which is sort of code for 710 to 745. Yeah. Well, the difference between paying seven ten and seven forty five yeah. will pay for a lifetime of smashed avocado. That's right. Yeah, but the common one liner from an agent is, and there's no disrespect to them, but how much? What can you afford? Mm. Like, well, the banks told me seven hundred, so it must be seven hundred. Yeah. Although I don't really know. Yeah, but the agent's job is to move the property at any cost. Correct. Mm. So they don't care. Yeah, but obviously the ownership comes back on the individual, the, the individual themselves, doesn't totally. it? Totally. So, totally. Mm. It does, but we do need to have some education around that. Sure. Because this is not something we are taught no. generally. And we're getting this from our parents. Mm. And I'm doing going through this with my 20-year-old son right yeah. now. Yeah. And what worked 20 years ago ain't going to work today. No. It's because it's actually different. Yeah. It, the world is a different place than yeah. it was. And that's what ago. like I've I've done an express podcast before going tell your parents to shut up mm. like with respect. It's mm. in other words their measuring stick that they had to use does does not work today. Yeah. I find a lot of younger people that I talk to, when I say young, I mean 18 to 25. Um, you talk to me? <laughs> <laughs> no, John's talking physical age. Are not, <laughs> are not listening to their parents Well, that's probably either. a good thing. So that can be good and bad, can't it? Yeah. Like, like if, uh, if I was your son, Vince, I'd probably have two ears ready to go. But... Being your son, yeah. What does dad he know? Might think, yeah, what does dad well, know? Yeah, dad's yeah. not dad's not a guru. He's not. Uh, I'll go and listen to the dentist or someone else. Mm. But now that he's not a teenager, he doesn't know everything. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So he's transitioned out of that. He's transitioned into his twenties. Yeah. yeah. Now, so the house and the car thing—they're huge. They are huge. It's half your lifetime spending. Yeah. Now, what about the unexpected? How are we dealing with that? Well, the big thing. So, just before we leave. Yeah. yeah house for a moment. It's not just the property itself. 
where you live actually drives a lot of the rest of your spending too mm. because we do a lot like our neighbours. So we shop in the same shops, our kids go to the same school, we go to the same place on holidays, we buy the same weekenders or whatever, we drive the same cars. So where you live drives a lot of the rest of your spending influences. Totally, totally. yeah. Mm. And that's probably one of the big differences between now and 40 years ago. 40 years ago, we saw the slightly wealthier family up the street. Today, we're seeing all these influences on social media. And so we're seeing a wider range of people. And it's like, if it's talk about school districts, one school district that might be in an affluent area might do more extracurricular stuff, which might cost more. more. Hmm. And the incentive to send your kids to private school. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a half million dollar decision that mm. people spend far more time working at which school than mm. do I do I not spend half a million bucks on my kids' education. Mm. Which uh, is a bit of a double whammy because it's driving up property prices in mm. those private school zones. Mm. Actually, that's probably one of the financial decisions I regret most of my life is that half a million dollar decision I made with zero thought. Mm. And I don't think I got value for my half a million dollars. So remember that, people listening, in 10 years when you start propagating the earth. (laughs) Now, let's talk about the emergency (laughs) fund and the planning for emergencies. So planning for the unexpected, there's really two bits to that. There's the emergency stash, which is having some money that you can put your hand on when you need to. And the other one is around insurance. So most people who work for a living they've got an asset that's worth several million dollars. So if you make Could be three million if you make eighty thousand dollars yeah. make eighty thousand dollars a year, that's probably a two million dollar asset. And it doesn't have to stop for very long for most people to struggle financially. Mm-hmm. So protecting that, uh, which is either income protection insurance or total permanent disability or TPD insurance, and then of course traditional life insurance. Mm-hmm. But the emergency stash is probably the most important one of those. Because it actually means you need to buy less insurance. You can afford a bigger deductible. You can afford a longer waiting period. Mm. So it actually saves you money. Mm. And the other three were retirement? Yeah. So one of the biggest problems we've got in life is trying to make 40 years of income last... Another 40. 80 years of life. Yeah. (laughs) And with 30 being the new 20, we're sort of starting a bit later... But at some point, we have to turn this human capital that we start adulthood with, enough of it into financial capital that it will provide for the rest of our life after we are either unwilling or unable to work. And that's one of the things, you, I don't know if you see this, but there's a lot of talk about an acronym called FIRE, which is Financial Independence Retire Early. And people are sort of, you see all this stuff on the internet about people retiring in their 30s. Well, if 30 is the new 20, mm. we can't expect 30 to also be the next six, the new 60. So we need to have a bit of realism around that and say, well, the more we spend, or the more we earn, the more we spend, the more we need to save for retirement. So getting your spending right drives how much you need to retire and therefore how long you need to work for it. Mm. Mm. Um, so preparing for retirement is... And I guess we'll get on to uh, the retirement stuff probably later in the list. And the next one was living. What was the live, drive, unexpected, retire? How you make a living. What you do. Yeah, what you do for a living. Yeah. Yep. And that drives a whole bunch of things. So it's not just about income. Obviously, 
you can do stuff around education and training to improve your earnings. Yeah. But some occupations may pay very well, but have implications in other parts of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you, you, know, you might make a ton of money working at heights. Like if you're an electrical person, you might yeah. make a lot more money by climbing 50 foot telecom towers, but that could actually have a big implication on your ability to get insurance and all those other things. So it's not just a a dollar thing. So what are your thoughts, and I've got my own on this, about university education, the fact that we're going to university and and by mid-20s we still haven't really earned real Mm. dollars on the whole overall scheme of financial wealth? Yeah. I mean, that's my point about 30 being the new 20. Mm. Um, You know, by the time we get going in life today, a fair chunk of your 20s have gone by. And there's, I don't know if I'm allowed, am I allowed to plug a book that I didn't write? Sure. Um, there's, there's a book called The Defining Decade by, by an American psychologist called Meg Jay, which I make all of our members read. Right. It's called The Defining Decade. And it's about why your 20s matter and what you should do about it. And it's, she's a psychologist who works with young people. And she just tells these six, I think it's about six case studies about relationships, working education, yep. travel, and what that means for the rest of your life. Because your 30s, really, by the time you get to 30, you're actually quite set in a lot of you know where you live, you are, yeah. who your friends are, mm. your taste in music. There's a whole bunch of things get mm. pretty well locked in by the time you're 30, and we don't change that much after 30. Totally. So yeah. long story, a long way round to get mm. to the point that, um, yes, it does matter, but that's not so that you shouldn't enjoy a bit of travel and gap years and stuff in your 20s. Yeah. But if you're not going to start work till you're in your late 20s, don't expect to retire at 30. No. You've got to, you've got to choose your poison. That's a bit of the misconception. And especially someone maybe um, studying medicine. So they might be 27 by mm. the time they come out. And if they want a gap year and travel, then let's call it 30. Yeah. By the time they start sort of earning decent money. And even that's scaled up. It takes a few years before they're... They're earning it. But if you love your vocation, can you put a price on that? Well, it depends what you want, doesn't it? But uh, I know I've got clients that are 19 and 20 that have already bought their first property, didn't go to university, enjoy what they do, and they're probably going to have their own equivalent gap year in a couple of years' time as well. So um, all all roads lead to Rome. It's just whichever path you want. Yeah, and it's the one that matters to you that you should choose. Don't don't go listening to other people no mm. yeah but because i think like i don't know about you glenn but when i went through high school it was just a given that everyone was going to university yeah i don't know for me university wasn't such a big thing because no one in my family was university qualified neither was mine but it wasn't i don't know it was just for i guess my family was just get a trade or get qualified at something mm. yeah there wasn't a, ever a, a discussion about you've got to get prepped for university mm. So I don't, I don't know, but we'll get on to a bit more about that later. And your last point, Vince, um, who you marry, is that yeah. from experience? <laughs> it is very slightly, but it comes from, I used to do a lot of work with 50 something divorced women who suddenly had a lot of money and they'd never had anything because their husband looked after all of the money. And suddenly they've been you know, stay-at-home mums for while their kids were young, mm. they're now in their 50s, kids are off their hands, they've got lots of money and they've got no idea what to do with it. Mm. So it's more about having shared values and goals. So is this person 
someone who shares your values and goals around what matters. In fact, shared values are probably the most important indicator of marriage success. And also around the cost of divorce. So, you know, you build up a lifestyle that's dependent on two incomes and suddenly you rip it apart and you now need two houses, um, two cars, and you've just more than halved the income. So it's a huge financial and emotional, in fact, the emotional thing sort of impacts on a lot of financial decisions you make. So getting married and staying married are actually huge indicators of... Definitely well, a cheaper I, I, option, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and I don't even think the word's married because, you know, you could be, my parents aren't married, they're a de facto a couple. Oh, sorry, like, I use that in as loose yeah, a sense. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, just to, because you'd be surprised, Vince, the emails and the comments that we get, <laughs> marriage <laughs> can, in this context, people mean de facto couple living together for more than 18 months or two years yeah. <laughs> by law. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean it as in a couple. shared household relationship. Mm. Where if you walk, half it stays. Mm. Yeah. So... So yeah. that's why I think those six decisions, and they're not, that's not all wholly controllable. I mean, you can't really control what's going to happen 15 years no. into a relationship. No, but it but, goes... But it is about this understanding what matters to both of you. Yeah, but I think it's, um, and I'm no specialist in this area, but I think it's like anything, you've got to work at what you mm. want to be successful, don't you? So I think, yeah, there's a, a bit of neglect in uh, in a lot of cases. Yeah, so I think that's um, as a foundation almost about how to get rich, quote unquote, because it's clickbait or how to build and keep wealth for the long term yeah. and get Vince to recap them. Okay, so they're where you live, what you drive, how you prepare for the unexpected, how you prepare for retirement, how you make a living and who you marry. Yeah, so there you go. So I think if you nail those big rocks, mm. because it's almost like I always talk about you know, the YouTube clip of the professor, he's got the big jar and he puts the sand in and then the medium pebbles and then he's got these big rocks. They don't fit in. That's right. You've got to get the big rocks in You've got to get the big rocks in with your financial life. And let me tell you that your morning latte is not a big rock. No, it's not. It's a bit of sand. Vince has got a book called The Latte Fallacy. There's a copy sitting there, Vince. (laughs) I flicked through it. I read it over dinner. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The spine doesn't look particularly cracked. (laughs) Oh, it's very cracked, Vince. It's very cracked. You replace it with a new one every time. Yeah, that's right. Every time you come here. (laughs) But I guess my next point drilling down from managing your money well is systematically spending less than what you earn. Absolutely. And then I guess investing the rest. So you've got a better chance of spending less than what you earn if you don't have a too big a house or car. Yeah, because mm. that's half your spending. Exactly, yeah. So what are your key concepts, Vince, when you're talking to people about managing the practicalities of cash flow in and out each week? Um, I think the first one is to stop thinking about needs and wants. And this this sounds really contrarian, yeah. Um, because that's the first thing your parents will have ever told you is you've got to pay for the needs first and then look out for the wants. Mm. And that probably made sense when budgeting or deciding what to spend your money on was a rationing problem. So in the 30s in the recession, yeah. in the 50s during rationing, that made a huge amount of sense. But today, most of us, it's actually an allocation and optimization problem. And if you treat it as a rationing problem, you end up in the debt is evil, deprivation is good school of financial planning. Yeah. Whereas if you focus on allocating and optimising it, you actually get a, a more holistic 
result. And so we think of spending in three categories. We talk about chore spending, which is stuff that doesn't give you any particular pleasure. And so mortgage payment, yep, bills. insurance, food, mm. all those sort of um, the four walls, as I think our friend Mr. Ramsey calls them. Um, but the important point is that they're not giving you any particular joy when you spend it. So mm. you get no joy out of paying your electricity bill. You certainly notice it when it's not there, mm. but the act of paying the bill doesn't require any active no. choices. We then look at the stuff that matters, which is we call live spending. And this is the stuff that you generally make decisions on every day. And usually it's around looking good, feeling good, going out, staying in. So things like clothes, holidays, all those sort of decisions that you make day by day and each one of them gives you some form of pleasure. Mm -hmm. And then the final one is what we call growth spending, which is stuff that makes you feel like you're getting ahead. So most pe most people, when they walk into or they arrive at Love Shepherd, you can tell where the problem is by the words they use. Yeah. So if someone says, I make good money, but I feel like I'm not getting ahead, well, that probably means there's not enough in the grow bucket. Or they're just not managing their money yeah. well. And usually there's no the grow, the grow bucket is the bit that suffers. Yeah, because like, and this is just me talking, the reason I created my spending mm. plan, it was for three things. One, I wanted to use money week on week without having to use my brain. Mm. Two, I wanted to make sure all my fixed bills were taken care of. Exactly. And then three, I wanted to see my savings and my future wealth being grown. Yeah. Like that's just the three yeah. broad things, mm. which is pretty much what you're yeah. talking about. And, and the, the, by thinking about it that way, you can automate the stuff that doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And by thinking about how it makes you feel, you actually focus on the chore stuff first, which is where most of the big decisions are. Yeah, where you live, what you drive, who your electricity provider is, mm. what insurance you buy, how much you owe. All those things drive your chore spending, and they're all big decisions. The live stuff is all the small stuff, like do I buy this coffee or not? Do I buy this dress or not? Do I buy this handbag? Do I go away for the weekend? They're all decisions that give you immediate pleasure at the time. And what you want to do is maximise that bit and minimise the chore stuff. Yeah, and because I honestly think if you're living week on week at the moment and feel like you're just a rat in the wheel or going around and around, you can get financial freedom within the next three pay cycles if you put a bit of a plan together. Yeah. Mm. It, it is about the plan. And you know when people talk about budgeting, people think about that meaning as I'm on a budget or that's mm. about what I can't spend. But it's actually about Allocation. Allocation. So you start mm. by starting off by where is it going today? And just by knowing where it's going today, you will get a better feel for it's which bit's giving you pleasure and which bit's taking not. some ownership over yeah. it, isn't it? And and actually having money as a friend, not a foe. Exactly. Mm. Mm. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. The next one I want to talk about is buying and holding assets for the long term as a rule of thumb mm -hmm. in your life. So we've got our, we're managing our money well, mm -hmm. we're 
living on less than what we earn. So now we need to do something with the rest, okay? Now, John, talk to us about the stories and the clients that you've seen mm. who have maybe purchased a lumpy asset without a strategy, which means they may have had to sell it sooner mm. than when they would like. Yeah, and I think it happens all too often. It does come back to a lot of what Vince has just spoken about with having the back end of our life in order, knowing what's coming in, what's going out, having our emergency buffers and and understanding when we're buying an asset that's such on a large scale, there's variables that can impact that that are out of our control, but definitely in our control. So if we if there's factors outside of our control that we can't impact, what can we put in store that's going to help us through those times? Now, I've, I always say to clients, you sell when you want to sell, not when you have to sell, mm. right? In fact, so, if you have to sell, if, you, if you're selling when you have to sell, you're generally going to lose some money. Yeah, and, and that's the common story, isn't it? And when they have to sell, it means we haven't got emergency funds in place. We don't know what's coming in our personal life. We haven't got property buffers, as an example. Um, we didn't forecast for interest rate rises. We didn't forecast for vacancy rates. Um, we mightn't have done we our research. We didn't forecast breaking our leg at soccer and can't work for three months. <laughs> yeah, insurances yeah. and those sort of things. We mightn't have researched markets that well. We might have paid too much for the property. A lot of those things, I would say up to 90% of it, we can actually control by factoring in that it's actually going to happen. Mm. And when it does happen, we're not surprised. Yeah, and, and that's what like, if you go to my blog, if you just Google Glenn James life insurance or something, on the Sort Your Money Out blog, there's a, a, a house diagram and I call it the sound financial house and it is about the foundations first because you do, like Vince, you know, you don't go buy a block of land and then go, I'm going to build a house and order the roof and just go put the roof and hang it from the sky. <laughs> you know what sky I mean? Hooks. Yeah, like, so I think it is about having, doing things in a methodical order. Mm. So our foundations, where the sixth thing Vince talks about, then the middle of the house, which I call our goals, mm -hmm. mm. and then the investing for the future is the last thing because yeah. if the shat hits the fan with the foundation, yeah, well, it really... You think if there's a, a total loss in a, a home and we've just had over the Christmas season, the fires, the complete loss, right? You could rebuild those homes on the existing foundations, generally. Generally, yep. Because the structure mm. of the unseen, the boring stuff, that's not going anywhere. Mm. Yeah. Interesting, on, you were talking about the unexpected when you buy a, buy a property. Mm. One of the interesting f things that the bank's, don't talk about is the highest level of home loan defaults, like people who don't pay their home loan payments, is where the starting loan to value ratio is just under 80%, like yeah. 78, 79%. Yeah. And I think the real reason for that is that people empty their emergency stash to avoid paying LMI, yeah. mortgage insurance. Yeah. And it means that people are starting their home ownership journey lean, very lean. There's nothing left in the kitty. Yeah. So when you rock up and you got to change the locks or the hot water service doesn't work yeah. or they got nothing something happens yeah. they don't have that buffer no. and it's pretty hard to refill it when you've just taken out a big home loan as well yeah so that point about the foundations yeah. and being prepared for a yeah and i think i think the other the common one is and i've had a, a bit of it recently where someone says okay i want 
three properties in the next six or seven years mm. and I'm going to do a renovation and then I'm going to get some equity out and go and buy the second one. Right now, that's not as hard as, uh, not as easy as people think, right? So, I think we we maybe we've got to be realistic in what's actually achievable to understand how we go about that and what that actually means from a dollar point of view. Because if we're lending at ninety percent and we add some value to something, we go and get some equity out. Well, we've got to pay lenders mortgage insurance again, mm. even if the hat, um, price has but, gone up. But it's this whole thing about you know, if we're buying assets and holding for the long term, if someone's listening and you're 21 years old, okay, over the next 30, 40 years, you're going to be earning money and hopefully investing any leftovers that you've got, hopefully. Mm. As an example, and I will use the example, one of the friends of our show, Alyssa, she's in Tasmania. We caught up when we had the live show. She's just such a great example of just doing things right. I think she's 22 years old. Right. She's just got her first full-time grad job. You know, she's traveled a bit. Now her goal, and she messaged me the other day, she's now debt-free. I think I'm paraphrasing, but now she's focusing on her emergency fund. Now, if a 21 or 22-year-old did take two years, and that's probably all it could take, two or three years, four years, hell, 26 years old, whatever, yeah. If it took five years out of your 40-year life to build the right foundations, mm. I think that's okay. Yeah. 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 And you've, you've got to tell yourself the right story, don't you? Yeah, like, because this, you know that big property at the end of uh, Binbara up yeah. here at Tawoon? The one that's for sale again. No, no, oh. it's right on the point. They've been building the foundations for mm. probably a year. Two, almost two. I almost two yeah, years, yeah. yeah. Like it yeah. is sandy, like... It's going to be a big place, mm. and if you want a big wealth bucket, you've yeah. got to dig deep and just make sure once it's built, you don't ever have to sell it down. Yeah, that's right. Because if they built that big house up there, if they didn't do the foundations correct and something happened, yeah, they don't need. They don't want to knock down half the house to rebuild the foundation. Yeah. Like no. it's just, and I know we crap on all the time. And there are plenty of listeners who are past this foundation stage, mm. but there's also plenty who are not because you message me, yeah. you people, and you always tell me you don't have two cents to scratch together and you're yes. working full time. So it's okay to press pause mm. just to get the foundations nailed. That's right. Yeah. And the, the, the confirmation bias of the story we say, like we can, we can agree with everything to ourselves, can't we? Like, and the the big one I'm finding at the moment with with three kids is our kids come home and say, "Well, Jimmy's just got this for his birthday, or Sarah just got this, or whatever." So, the you're almost protecting them from the wolves that are out there just um, getting themselves into debt. Um, and and you can easily say, "Well, I just want to please my kids, so I'll buy them that next mm. uh, iPod or whatever it is." You know what I mean? So, mm. yeah, when you're single, it's um, that's one thing to tell yourself a good story, but then when you add to the household, it, uh, it makes even more. Yeah. Purpose. So, I guess that point in how to be wealthy is to literally buy and hold assets mm. for the long term. Based on what the goal you're trying to achieve is. Yes. So if you're looking for um, you know, a long-term goal like retirement, absolutely. You're going to buy it today and you're going to spend it in 50 years' time. If you're trying to solve, say, you know, a lot a lot of people that we see in their you know, late 20s, early 30s, they have a goal of 
starting their own business or opening a yoga studio, well, that rule has a number of goals that you need to achieve. Some of those are monetary. Yes. Right. So you're going to need some money to tide you over whilst you get it going. You need some money for marketing. You're going to need some money to buy some yoga mats. But you also have some health goals around getting fit and learning the technique. Mm. And the assets you need for each of those goals is actually potentially different. Absolutely. And I, in next episode, part two, we will drill down on actually starting a business as a wealth creation thing. Uh, my next part, it's basically, it's a two-part thing, but you've got to just continue to invest and have the mindset that I'm actually an investor. I'm not a saver. Because for me personally, I'm not a very good saver because if it's in my account, I will spend it and I will buy the best fun stuff ever and have a great time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And do you find that with most people you come across, Vince, is that, that same yeah, I mindset? Mean, most people spend most of their money most of the time. And the trick is to effectively get to live on, effectively pretend some of that isn't there. Mm. Um, I mean, people talk about paying yourself first. I think it's more of paying your future self first. Yeah. That um, if you're spending it all now, you're actually stealing it from future John or future Glenn. That's right. And that's why, like, for me, I've got to be an investor because once money goes into my investment account, it stays there. And for me, like, I've got a little savings account on my offset, for example. And I looked at, you know, it's for, you know, holidays, gifts, clothes, that account. And it was at $4,000 the other day. And I hadn't looked at it. Instantly, I thought, that money's unallocated. It's for clothes, gifts, and holidays. Yeah. I've got no clothes, gifts, or holidays coming up. Uh. I can blow it. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so what did you blow I up? actually, um, I just invested it because I just had to have that time to go, okay, this $3,800, to be exact, it's $3,800 in there. I didn't need anything that it was allocated for because I just must have had a lean six months well, a year. There's only so many black t-shirts you can buy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> personal brand Yeah. So for me, it was, okay, can I blow this on some fun stuff or do I be the adult and <laughs> invest it for the future? So I decided to invest Be the it. adult. Yeah. Wow. wow. So Very I think it's, it's the mindset thing of Glenn James He's a really shat saver. Yeah. I can't save money like because I spend it. Yeah. So I have to have the mindset as I'm an investor. <laughs> the interesting one, I think it's I think it's very interesting. Do the opposite of what most people do. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. Like yeah. the most people don't have a strategy for building wealth. Most people spend more time planning their holiday to freaking Bali than the future, financial future. So I think we'd you you can apply that for most things that we do in life. To be honest, like I I would say, like when you you write about the plan, you write about the holiday, you write about using money, whether it be yeah, you, you name any. Like health, for example, right? How do most most people approach health and fitness, getting health, well, um, getting fit? Well, most people don't. Mm. Well, number one, they maybe don't, or the number two, they try a quick fix method, don't they? Right? Let's go on this the crash diet six week 
program, it'll change my life forever. 12-week, 12, 12 run a marathon in 12 weeks. Yeah, whereas the small percentage of people will cons- consistently turn up most days. They'll consistently eat healthy most, most days. But if everyone was doing that, the country wouldn't be obese. That's true. I mean, it, it, it's exactly like money. Everybody knows to lose weight, you've got to... Move and move, eat less yeah, eat, eat less, <laughs> move more, right? And it's exactly the same thing with money. You just need to... Spend less, spend less invest the rest. Yeah. yeah. Spend less and or earn more and invest the difference. But, yeah, there's a reason there's 10,000 diets. Mm. And one of them will work for everybody. Yeah. So it's a question of finding out, firstly, your why, and then the way that's going to work for you. And I think with what I found with money is I, I don't do money fad diets. It's more of a lifestyle of systematically investing each month yeah. because it just removes me mm. from the process. And human behavior is weird. Like it's just so manic and can change. And, and willpower is a limited resource. So if you're using your store of willpower to not buy a coffee every day, in order to... Yeah, the pendulum's going to swing. Someday, you're going to go, I'm not going to do this today. Yeah, and you'll snap. Enough. Yeah. And that's it. Like and if you go and buy a tall venti, whatever it is. Yeah. If you, um, if you imagine a pendulum with the very top end, it's, I'm a saver, I'm not spending, I'm just... And then the other side of the pendulum is, I'm just buying everything because I've lost... Yeah. I'm having a breakdown and a crisis and I don't care... You know, if you hold that, like if you picture me now, I've got my hands in the air, I'm holding that pendulum up. There's a big metal ball that I'm holding up with my hands that, no, I'm not buying a coffee each day. I'm not mm. buying coffee each day because that's bad, that's bad, that's Someday bad. Someday you will snap. My arms are going to get tired. And when I drop that, my arms, that pendulum, is it's not going to swing back down to balance. It's going to go fling, yeah. like complete other side. Yeah, which is the whole diet thing, you usually end up heavier than where you started. Yeah, yeah. So, Whereas if you can take small incremental changes to build new habits, it, um, it just becomes ingrained and you don't have to hold a pendulum. Yeah. So why make 365 decisions when you can make one? Mm, exactly. Mm. So, and I think on that mindset thing, I think it's important to celebrate other people's success mm-hmm. and don't have a, I don't know, I'm touching on the stuff that you were talking about at the start, John, mm. like don't have jealousy in your heart. Mm. Like actually, oh, Vince, you've done really well with your life. I'm not jealous of you. I'm not envious of you. I want to celebrate how you're yeah. killing it because it's it does more to me totally. to covet you, which is a really old school word, or to be envious of you. I mean, there is more than enough to go around. Just because I make a little bit more or save a bit more doesn't mean that there's less for you to earn or save. Yeah. And getting from this scarcity mindset into an abundance mindset, that may sound a bit woo-woo, yeah. but it really does make a difference. And if you're positive, um, you know, I don't quite believe that the universe will provide, but it certainly makes it easier to succeed. Yeah. And I think when I was, and there's a lot of people that are listening who are in small business. When I was in small business, like had my uh, financial advisors business and people were like, oh, your competition down the road. I'm like, I actually don't have competition. Like I've got a flavor that works for some 
and I think there's enough to go around yeah. for everybody. Yeah. So, weirdly, our industry, Vince, it is very collaborative mm. where other industries, like yeah. even real estate, I know we talk about them a little bit, but I know some real estate offices where there's five people in the one office and they all working against each other. Well, I was actually talking to an agent about this on Sunday yeah. on, on his day off and, and it's definitely in the majority of offices, not the norm in uh, agencies to actually be collaborative and work together. It's, uh, yeah, it's not a good environment at all for team play, that's for sure. Yeah, wow. But that comes back to the model of or the culture of the top down. Mm. So They've provided that. I think... And Australia's really bad with the tall poppy syndrome mm. and want to rip people down if they rise above. Yeah. And, you know, Vince and I have spent a lot of time in the States at conferences over there for various industry things. And it's just not there. Mm. But I would say, you know, in the States, it's a spectrum, right? Democracy, <laughs> freedom, greed, you know, everyone be a billionaire. Like, that's all good. I, I don't know. I just think we just need to be okay that others in our world are doing very well. Yeah. I mean, you can learn something from them. Totally. We all can all learn from each other. Mm. I want you to, in finishing up this episode, because we will do part two, with your how to be wealthy, most of the times, and I'll, I'll get a comment from John and Vince on this, most people, they've either got an overarching goal for their life or an overarching goal for a period of time. So it's like over the next five years, this is my goal. Over the next 10 years, this is my goal. So for me at different times, it's been, okay, I want to start a business. I'm going to do this over the next five years. That's where all my energy is going to go. Talk to me, John, about goal setting for, I guess, a wealth mindset mm. and your clients with investing how important is it? Yeah, I, I like to encourage them to, to set their goals and, and put it up on the wall and, and do all those sorts of things. But I, I actually think the habits are much more important than the goals themselves. And the, the goals will naturally occur if the habits are achieved. Yeah, and I've said in other blog posts like make the habit the goal. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's true because we, we know that like – and I've said it before – Clean your teeth every day, floss and um, and bit of uh, mouthwash, and do that consistently for three sixty five. And visit the dentist. Your teeth will generally work out alright. But if you just decide to go to the dentist once every six months, you might be in for a bit of a shock. So I think again we apply it to everything in life, and and financial wealth is no different. If we're making small changes or small inroads on a on a weekly monthly yearly basis over the next 30 years we're going to end up better than most if we've yeah but a lot of the time someone would still have an overarching goal like totally yeah i i, I think you know i know people who for the last 10 years have gone round and round in circles with their money and haven't had two cents to scratch together yeah. and i can look at them and go you know what, you've actually never really had a target or a goal that you're aiming for with your life. Yeah, so I would um, unpack that and say, well, number one, are there habits, the right habits? You've just read that book I gave you at Christmas, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> the, 
No, is this tiny it, habits? It, it definitely, no, it's uh, atomic habits. Oh, atomic habits. Yeah, it did resonate with me. Yeah, but it's such a no, banger, I'm not isn't stealing it from yeah. ideas from atomic, but shout out to them. Yeah, but yeah, if their habits are the right ones, or or generally ticking a lot of boxes, you, you've still got to have that goal out there, don't you? Because mm. otherwise, you can be just well, why am I doing this? What is the end goal? What what do I want in two years or five years or twenty? Yeah, but I think when it comes to personal goals, it's actually a different thing than setting goals at work. I mean, anyone who's been through a corporate goal-setting exercise will have have come across the SMART technique, which is specific, measurable, accountable, realistic, and time-bound. You know, the classic John F. Kennedy. Which works. It does work, but for personal stuff, we always talk about SMART-ER goals. Yeah, right. The ER stands for emotional resonance. And that you can have the SMART bit, but if if it doesn't mean something to you... Yeah, what's it matter? And so if you can't answer the questions, when I achieve this goal, I will feel. When I achieve this goal, I will be. And when I achieve this goal, I will do. If you don't know the answer to those three questions, Mm. that's not a goal that's going to survive life. Mm. And getting to that point takes a long time. And of course, once you build the right habits to support the goal, Mm. achieving it becomes easier. But you you get to the point where if you achieve it and you go, oh, is that it? Yeah then that's not life-sustaining. No, that's right. There's there's always got to be a, a what next, doesn't there, as well as that, and know that you've got a, a, a progression that, yeah, you celebrate everyone else's wins and your yeah. own wins, mm-hmm. and then, okay, what is it after that? And I don't think it's any coincidence that there's nobody more motivated to lose weight or save money than a young woman who's just got engaged. Yeah. And that's because there's this really strong emotional end point. Hmm. And if you don't have that, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So are you saying are you sexist? Look good? <laughs> you're saying they look good for the wedding and then exactly. downhill from there? <laughs> I didn't say that. No, but it's it's the point that there is there is something that's got yeah. huge. Yeah, but that's deep that's not reasons. even um, a lot of males can be like that as oh, well. Oh sure. Yeah. But it's particularly noticeable. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, <laughs> let's do a recap. <laughs> We're not going deeper there. We're not going deeper there. <laughs> no. So our, our first kind of discussion points was managing your own money well and nailing the six things that Vince talked about. Spend less than what you earn, buy and hold assets for the long term, continue to invest always and be an investor, not a saver. And just on the goals thing, you know, and removing the human emotion, if I didn't automatically set a monthly amount to go into my investing account, I would never do it manually because I'd feel like I didn't have the money or you just, it's set and forget. Set a goal, do the opposite of what others do and celebrate other people's success. So what is it your friend Dave Ramsey says? He says, live like no one else. So later you can live like no one else. That's right. You've heard of cryptocurrency. You've heard of pseudocurrency. Now it's time for a bit of the good old social currency. It's time for Community Member of the Week. And it's a question from Jolene. I want to know what questions to ask a financial advisor and a mortgage broker for the first time. I'm scared of picking a bad one. Mm. Well, there's 19,000 of of each to choose from, roughly. Wow. Is that right? Um, I think it's 24,000 planners and 19,000 brokers, something like that. Mm. Um, but some of those authorised planners would be power planners and not client-facing. Oh, that's probably so. true. A lot yeah. less than there was 12 months ago? That's probably true. To my mind, the biggest, and it's not a question to ask them, it's a question more to 
understand about yourself. And that is you want an advisor who looks after people like you. So if you're a you know, 28-year-old young professional and your goal is to buy a house in the next five to ten years, choosing an advisor that's a gun retirement planner is probably not the guy for you. Or gal. Or gal. And if you're, and similarly on the mortgage broker front, front, if you're a first home buyer, you probably don't really want to be going to a broker that focuses on SMSF investing or or the 10 properties in 10 months type (laughs) thing. So finding someone who looks after people like you is number one. And you usually hang out with people like you. So is there someone in your circle of friends who have seen someone like you all? That's step number one. Step number two is know the influences. So you're not going to walk into a holding showroom and expect to get the advice that actually you drive less than 5,000 kilometers. You should just get a go-get membership. Mm. And you're not going to be walking into a Holden dealership anytime well, soon anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to change that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe it's a Ford dealership yeah. or a Tesla dealership. Yeah. Um, so if you go and talk to a planner associated with your super fund, they're going to be predisposed to encourage you to put more money A, into super and B, into their super fund. Mm. And similarly, if you go to a bank planner, they're going to have a influence however nebulous, to obviously get you to borrow more as much as possible, use their funds. So getting to someone who has an ability to look across your whole financial needs without those sort of external influences is important. That doesn't necessarily mean independent because that's a very obscure legal definition that yeah. means very little. There's actually, the I think, only 20 yeah. actual independent financial advisors in Australia or something weird like that. It's, it's really? sort of a nonsense. Yeah, just because of the the word independent in the Corpse Act. Yeah. Right. And a lot of advisors, it was only a couple of years ago, had to remove the word independent yeah. unless they met that term in the Corpse Act. Wow. And there was only about 20 in the whole of Australia. And it's such a technical definition that yeah. it means nothing to... The average punter. The, the person in the street. And it has no impact on your getting what you want. So they're my two biggest points. And it's weird. Like I was licensed through a company uh, that NAB owned, right? And I actually didn't really care. Like I had clients with Macquarie, like other, like I actually didn't really care what product Mm. was used. But did the licensee put any pressure on you to perform that way? No, 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 no. No. And if they did, I told them to bugger off because... Uh, you know, I'm using you as a license function. Yeah. And, but that's not like someone in the Facebook group the other day said, Oh, I'm going to an AMP financial advisor. Should I cancel the appointment? And I'm like, Well, number one, they might be using AMP financial planning as a licensing function. Sure. So I'm not throwing out the advisor because I know a lot of good, great, amazing, probably better than I ever was advisors <laughs> that were licensed through yeah. AMP. Yeah. Number two, like anything, you would just want to ask the questions if they are recommending. See, the, the AMP FLS products, they were really cheap anyway. Well, like Inflexible Lifetime Super. No. F- oh, gosh. <laughs> the new FLS, whatever oh, replaced The it. less inflexible Lifetime Super. I don't know. What was the- Oh, it was called Flexible Lifetime yeah, Super. Yeah, FLS. Like, but I thought there was a new product that they did. Oh, that, they'd have a thing called My North. No, it wasn't North. But FLS was pretty cheap the new, not the legacy, they had a legacy 
product that if you came out of a group super plan mm-hmm. and that was bloody expensive. But some of the FLS ones, in terms of fees and performance, it was okay. And I'm probably going out of my depth here because I don't know AMP products inside and out. But I guess what I'm saying is if they are recommending an AMP product, you can just ask the question, why are you recommending that? Mm-hmm. But also if an AMP advisor recommended Macquarie or a NAB product or NetWealth or something like that, you just ask the question, why are you recommending yeah. this? Can you show me two other comparisons? Th- comparisons. Yeah. So that was number one. But for me personally, I wouldn't invest any money with AMP yeah. because they lied to the government. Yeah. They had a huge board high up level. I don't. That was really so. That so for me, it's kind of multi-layered. An AMP financial advisor doesn't mean they're a crook. They're a self-employed person in the suburbs using AMP as a licensing mm-hmm. model. Two, they probably are acting in your best interests yeah. because one, it's law, yeah. and two, just because they're AMP advisor doesn't mean they're a scumbag. <laughs> Three, just use your brain and your gut. And if something doesn't feel right, don't proceed until you can understand enough to make your own decision. Yeah, so mortgage broker, you can apply similar principles. Um, I suppose I would add in a couple there and in that I go a lot on gut feel, right? Can I relate with this person? I'm going to be dealing with them on an ongoing basis. Can I relate to them? And um, how long have they been operating in that space? Mm -hmm. How many lenders are they looking across? As you said, um, Vince, what type of clientele you're dealing with on a regular basis as well gives you a bit of peace of mind yeah and i think that's probably the biggest one getting someone who knows what they're doing with your situation like i never did any aged care advice because it was just just not my thing yeah like yeah i could do it but not comfortable yeah so but other than that you can um if you do want a recommendation for somebody that i personally trust who can look after you you're welcome to go to sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help and I can introduce you to somebody to help. Now, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much, John and Vince. And we'll, uh, thank you, thank Vince. You. we'll have a bit of a break and come back for part two. Bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.